Keegan, look, th- there's a lot of places we can go with this conversation. Um, you've been on many podcasts. You talk about health, wellness, holistic health, mindset. You talk about this stuff all the time. It's, it's, it's what you live and breathe. Um, but I kind of want to build a foundation of this conversation. And, you know, when you, when people look at you, or at least when people like me look at you, you know, we see all these boxes being ticked. Strong, stable, mobile, skillful. Like, I don't know if you saw the, the questions that I have, but I'm essentially, this is the where I want to start the conversation. Um, but I wonder, it takes a lot of time and effort to build all these qualities, right? It's not easy, otherwise everyone would do it. But I wonder, how did you think about first attacking this blueprint of creating who you are, Keegan Smith? Yeah, I don't think it was saying that was like, you know, you sit down and analyze and make a plan of like, well, five years from now, I'm going to be able to do this. It's yeah. more like, uh, yeah, I think it's just monkey see, monkey do. You're like looking at something and think, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, I wonder what it's like to, to be able to do that and, um, you know, put it into practice and then see what impact it has on other aspects of your life or other aspects of your performance. Like, I feel like that almost intuitive approach to training performance development in the other areas of life like wealth creation and health and like i'm probably i probably get more out of experimentation and experiencing than i do out of research um and looking at the science like i'm more interested probably in what someone else's experience has been and hearing them tell the story of it um and i guess that's probably if we're honest like most humans are actually like that like story is very powerful and mm-hmm. story has been passed down through the ages but i'm interested in stories that take you to a point of greater truth and when you've if experienced it for yourself then it's very it's more difficult for you to be swayed by differences of opinions and i think you know in the information age it has become an information war and it's like one person's pushing you this way and they make such a convincing argument but if you've had real experiences on the other side or, or in another area, then, you know, you're not going to go there so easily. So, I mean, yeah, I like all those different components, like the, the handstands and such, like I was fascinated by them pretty early in the strength journey. I, I remember reading like old time strength manuals when the internet was kind of just getting cooking. I found stuff in like the early 2000s about, you know, hand balancing, how it used to be a part of strength training. Yeah. And I just thought it was really cool. Like I just, it just fascinated me, uh, but I didn't know how to do it. The guides weren't really that good. And then I went to a workshop, my, my first Poliquin workshop, I went to the PICP one and two, in Southampton, Winning Health Solutions, great gym there. Tom Hibbert, I'm still connected with, he's a, he's a friend of mine. There was a guy there, Rasmus uh, from Denmark, who had a gymnastics background and he could do handstands and you know walk in a circle on his hands and, and he was very comfortable with his own body weight. He was also you know, good at his lifting and we've stayed in contact as well. He's just opened a, a beautiful gym in uh, Denmark. And I was like, I was, I was uh, blown away by what he could do. And I was like, well, I'm spending all this time developing strength, like, I probably should be able to do this. Like, why, why can I not do this? And, and that kind of took me on a, on a journey. I think I started to, like, I played around with it a lot more after that. I made more of a commitment. I still didn't really have a method. Um, but yeah, I mean, for example, that's the, the story of the handstand. And then that led me to more fascination with Ido Portal. And I went and interned with him yeah. uh, in 2013, you know, straight after the 
premiership with the Roosters the very next day. I flew out to Thailand and spent a week with with Ido. Um, so yeah, I mean, I tend to go down those rabbit holes personally and physically more so than just um, you know trying to read the research on what it might mean to go upside down and spatial awareness and you know the different parts of the brain that are going to adapt to things and you can tell that story but it's it's i don't think it's anywhere near as valuable as actually uh being able to do the thing and and then you have the power right like the do the thing have the power is a good uh good quote well then i wonder how do you with all the information right the overwhelming amount of information on the internet how do you pass out and communicate to people how to critically think, but still be open-minded and still be able to make assertive decisions on what to believe, on what to not, on to, to find their own truth through the sea of research and anecdotes and experience. Like, how do you even begin to tackle that huge beast? No, I think it's, it is that, like, find experiments worth running mm-hmm. and run them to the best of your discipline and knowledge and ability and... And then you'll know more, you know. Um, I, I feel like those N equals one case studies, people try to poo poo them and stuff, but that's all there really is. There's N equals one. There's, you know, what what journey have you been on? What was the result of you doing that program? It doesn't really matter if the mean result of 20 college students doing a program was X. If you do the program and you get Y, yeah. then what matters to you is Y. And when you look at the mean result of that college program, you know maybe no one actually got X. That was just the that's just the mean. And then, you know, some people got two X and some people got half X. And you know what I mean. So, I think it, looking for people and say, well, look, that person's getting a result that I'm I'm really I'm quite attracted to that. Like that that appeals to me to have the result that they've got. What is it that they're suggesting is the method to get there? Or what is what is you know what have they read? What science are they acting on? Um, who, who's leading them, who's mentoring them and, and follow that path. You know, I think if we take it back to sports, like a smart player would look for a club and a coach where there's a precedent of developing players like them or a precedent of developing players in general. Um, if a player, if the player goes to a club that's very poor at developing players, they can lose millions of, millions of dollars in value over their career. Whereas if they have you know, one or two or three great seasons and they get to being an international level player, state level player, then, you know, there's millions of dollars in that versus being in a poor system where they get an injury, they don't get on with the, the staff, they don't get developed and, and they go out the back door before they even, you know, reach a, a serious contract. Now, very difficult for a young player to identify where that might be and, you know, the player managers and, um the, the parents, you know, pushing and pulling to get those first pennies rather than looking at the long term of where the, where the real dollars are going to be. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the game. You know, you've got you to navigate that. But for me, the, the best indicator around that is what are the, you know, what results are they really getting? And that's why I encourage the coaches that I work with to experience for themselves and to be their own business card, mm-hmm. you know, to be, to be a product of their product. And most of the mentors that I've chosen over the years, they stand behind their own performance and you know, they're, it's clear that they're, they're doing the work personally um, as well as uh, coaching and inviting other people onto the journey. Yeah. 
I wonder because there's because that reason you just articulated is why I stopped posting on social media. Like you know, when you become a coach in the industry, you know, you know, it's usually commonplace to begin, you know, sharing and documenting your knowledge and experiences, your n equals one journey. Um, but then I look had to look inwards and say, well, I'm not. I'm not being the change that I want to see in the world and I'm not reflecting excellence in the way that I'm trying to create for, for the people I work with. So I stopped. But maybe you don't sit on that high horse like I do, but maybe sort of high horse. But do you think that there almost should be like a rite of passage? Like, hey, we've got too many talking heads and not enough actual practitioners who are being something truly excellent. I'm happy for the market to decide, you know. I think that people have their, their bullshit detectors turned on and okay, yes. and when, when it when it goes buzzing then they just don't follow or they just uh, they just unsubscribe and um, you know, you're not gonna win everybody over. I personally don't like that you you know, that the disempowerment of people to like the right to have an opinion is, is also not cool. <laughs> you know, like it, it's, it saddens me a little bit that, you know, you felt like you couldn't do that. And maybe the podcast is your way to be able to, you know, relate to people and, and, and be of value asking questions and, and bringing people, other people's opinions to, you know, to new eyes or to, um, to your audience. Mm. You know that can be your voice. Your voice can be through. Well, these are the things that I found, and these are the like these are the great resources. Like you can build an account around sharing other people's stuff, and and be have it be very valuable, right? But I also value your opinion and your experience, because if we if we don't give uh, any sort of uh, credence to new learning, then where are we going to get better? You know, this is the whole problem that we're in at the moment in the world. Is like, well, there's one opinion on this thing. And it's actually changing all the time and it's actually completely irrational on, on the biggest issue in humanity at the moment or the biggest distraction at least. Um, there's one opinion. It changes all the time and it, it doesn't seem to be based on any real, any real, you know, science or, or, or what we're seeing anecdotally like in front of us. So, but you have to listen to that one thing. And if you say anything else, you're crazy. And, and the same thing is happening with, you know, nutrition, a calorie is a calorie. And if you want to argue with that, then, you know, go and eat a piece of paper and, um, is the other calories in a piece of paper? Well, uh, no one's making that argument. I could eat these sunflowers here in front of me that are ornamental. You know, are they, uh, is that, is that a, a valid, uh, source of calories? Well, a calorie is a calorie, but then if you, if you disagree with that opinion, you'll have people that, you know, violently argue with you that, um, we should be bowing down to that dogma, which if it doesn't make any sense, if you, if you, you know, don't look at the world through a, through a straw as, um, Charles Poliquin used to say, it's a big influence on me. Mm. Um, but yeah, Alex, like the, the challenge is that oftentimes you will feel as though, look, I don't have the authority to, to measure myself against those people, so I won't say anything. Yep. Well, I think the, the better position to take if you're a, a junior coach is to share your journey. Like I'm on a journey here. I'm not a finished product. I'm studying all this stuff. And people are interested in that. And that's yeah. that's what social media is. Like there's gonna be guys like, yeah, I'm like Alex, like I, I see his struggle. Like I'm I'm not this guy with, you know, a million followers and making tons of money off whatever books that you published or just be you. The problem is when you try to be that ultimate authority and you're trying to whack everybody over the head with the the calories, a calorie stick and the um, whatever, like you know, those these dogmas that are out there in the training world if you're trying to whack everybody over the stick head with that stick, 
everyone knows, well, like he's not really thinking like that's, that's just, um, that's thunking. That's just running with the herd. You know, that's, there's, there's no, he hasn't really, you know, there's no signs of anything original there. So they tune out, you know what I mean? Um, I think that's, that's uh, how I would, would look at that thing. I appreciate your perspective and uh, I bring it up because I think it's it's the constant tug and pull um, that I've gone through in my head. And I also think other health professionals and coaches can obviously relate to it, um, whether they're one year in or five years in. Um, but I think, at least for me, and I don't want to make it about me, but on the topic... For people who might have certain standards, right? And this is, I, I want to hear your perspective on this because I'm just trying to formulate a better a better uh, thought around this. For people who have really high standards, or at least think they have high standards towards excellence, well, I guess they feel like, I'm describing myself, like they're uh, inadequate to express. And it's right, you're right though, like you shouldn't have, like everyone can have an opinion, should be able to express it, Absolutely. But as their own character value, like their own integrity, like this is the level they need to reach in order to earn the right for themselves to do that. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm kind of just thinking on the fly here. What do you make of that? I think you're going to get there faster if you can have the courage to share your journey. You know, I think the person that sits in the shadows oftentimes won't make the same progress as if they have a clearer purpose around expressing something for others. Like I think we, if you want to be a teacher, then you got to teach. And absolutely, you know, if, you, if you're hiding from that because I'm not ready yet, well, look at 99% of society, the physical state that they're in, you know, the physical capacity. And some people might think 99% is a big number, but there are very few people that train consistently and that, eat towards health and performance you know there are very few people that that build their lifestyle around that of those people a lot of them haven't achieved any results that they would really be proud of you know so if you're getting any kind of result then you're probably ahead of 95 percent of the population maybe 99 and so why don't you just help them rather than trying to compete with the the one percent that you think are maybe ahead of you or the 0.5 percent or the 0.1 percent that have formulated their ideas well academically not everybody's going to resonate with those people it's like yeah if we if we take it to another field if you think about wealth not everybody wants a billionaire as their mentor mm. because a lot of people just have credit card debt and they have a mortgage and they don't know how to rub two pennies together like they're, they're making minimum wage or they're making an average wage and they just can't get by and the billionaire is just not going to be someone that's going to relate to them so they're not looking for the billionaire they're looking for you you know they're looking for someone who's in the grind with them but just got out of debt and has increased their salary and has a plan for how they're gonna you know they kind of see what's coming next in the economy and they have a plan to to, to navigate through that time like that would be someone who the average Joe or the, you know, the average Australians in, in some serious debt in most countries in the world. So that's the, everyone has their place. People want a mentor who's one or two steps ahead of them, not no, someone who's way out there in right. distance that you, yeah. can, uh, you can't even see who it is, you know? Hmm. I appreciate, I really appreciate your perspective. Um, I've never had someone really, I've never really talked about it much with people and to have someone offer another perspective is very valuable to me because I've really digged myself into mentally committing to that dogma um but it's time to reflect upon it but on top of that 
how important then is being the product? Because, you know, I had this conversation with myself and I'm sure other people who look at a guy like you, Keegan Smith, man, you look at him. Look, like you might not look at yourself like this, but to people, other people, you are representing excellence in so many ways. It is truly inspirational, right? Truly. And I know, damn, that's going to take some time to achieve. I can't wait to have an opinion and to express myself to till I reach Keegan Smith level, right? That's not always practical. But how important then is being the product, being the change you want to see like you are? I mean, I put that, I put that pressure on myself as well. I, I experienced the same mental circles that, that you're talking about. Like, ooh, <sighs> and I've just, you know, it gives me relief. I'm about to launch a new product in a, in a new niche. And, you know, who am I to do that? Mm. Who am I to, who am I to, you know? Imposter syndrome type thing? Yeah, there's definitely, like, there's always that stuff. But if you look at it rationally and if you you zoom out and you actually test the waters a little bit, or if you look at your own experience, like, have you helped someone to improve something that you value? Absolutely, yeah. So so what are you waiting for? (laughs) You know what I mean? Why don't you help someone else? Like, is there no problems in the world? That's kind of the point that people get to. It's like, oh, that person solved a problem. Well, have they solved the problem? Or have they done nothing really on the global scale? And there's more help needed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you look at nutrition or if you look at performance, no, no one, no one got it done. No one got the job done as no. far as we're looking at things at the moment. In my perspective, if I'm looking at global health or even if I'm looking at athletic development at the pointy end of athletic development, if we look at uh, ACL statistics, no one got the job done just yet. So you know, you're welcome to get in the game. If someone gets it all done and it's all solved, then maybe, yes, yeah, sit back and look for another problem to solve. Maybe we solve the problem of, how to make concrete that sets really well. Maybe that's been done. Maybe there's not that much more work to do there. Maybe don't invest your life in that. Um, but there's a lot of problems that haven't yet been solved very well. And, you know, putting yourself all into that. Um, but yeah, the question there, like, it's, it's yeah, it's a challenge. Like, it's a challenge to have the courage to, to put yourself forward. I, you know, I don't see myself as the finished product. There's a lot of people that, you know, that I look up to and people that have done a lot more than, than I've done. And uh, I think it's always going to be like that. Like you, it's exciting to go to the next step. Like the challenge is to find, you know, find happiness and find joy in the process. And if you're on that level consistently, then, you know, you're just, you're just going to go along until it's over, <laughs> you know, just keep, keep, um, pursuing the thing that that interests you most and um yeah i mean i'm a guy who will change direction on things and you know some people don't like that and for some people it doesn't make sense but that's that's me so um if i'm feeling like i really need to learn a lot about an area then i'm going to go all in on learning that and i'm probably going to start sharing what i'm learning yeah and you know if if you don't want that opinion then go look somewhere else and if it's if it resonates with you and if you see that i'm drawing some conclusions that are relevant to you then great you're welcome you know like i'm trying to add to your quality of life um so yeah that's the it's a very logical rational um perspective but very simple at the same time you talked about mentors earlier before and i know you've talked about it many times you know ito patel charles polycon you've walked with pole check um that's one thing, but I wonder all the mentors you've had, what, when you zoom back and analyze all their teachings to you, what do you think are the commonalities that they all shared 
the biggest thing I, I would say is that they they walk the walk. They're not afraid to challenge the research. <laughs> like if you look at those three guys that you've just mentioned, you know, Poliquin's really famous for saying, "Look, if I waited for the research, I would have been three decades behind." Yeah, you know, I would have I would have been it would have been three decades later that. Um, cluster training was, you know, uh, cl cluster training actually went back, you know, people were saying it wasn't research back when, when Charles was doing it in the 80s, it actually goes back to like the 50s. And there became brand new research in the 2000s, or, you know, 2010 or something. It's like, well, why, why, why would we have to wait for this? Like people who are saying they're evidence based, like, it's nice to look at research, and it's good to look at who's innovating and what's coming out. At the same time, if if you're being dogmatic about that and you're waiting for something to be like you know um, a, you know cohort studies and study after study and the, the evidence is really backed up behind something, you're gonna be so far behind. Yeah. Like you can only expect to be middle of the pack um, with that because someone's gonna be innovating. <laughs> someone's gonna be out there doing stuff that you haven't even thought about yet, and you're gonna be last. You know, so in the in the sports world, you know, it's you're just not going to win. Like, I mean, my, my track record is, is there with results that I've had and athletes that have wanted to work with me and come back and, and do that sort of stuff. Like I've always looked for what's, what's going to be next. Like what's everyone going to be doing 10 years from now? And, you know, um, some people don't like that. <laughs> some, um, but yeah, Charles, uh, Charles was, was clearly on that train. Like he's, you know, his take on nutrition was very different to the status quo. He was, you know, blood testing his athletes and, you know, going deep into that stuff. And there are a lot of different approaches there with the, the soft tissue therapies and, and Paul check the same, you know, Paul check and, and Charles Polkman, I believe were, were good friends or, you know, well connected in their early days when they were both kind of getting their, their institutes off the ground and they kind of pioneered this private alternative education. Yeah. Um, and, and Paul check. Yeah. Like his, if you listen to some of his research on like, uh, when you, the dirt facts lecture series that he delivered on YouTube, it's uh, it's it's breathtaking. Like it's it's such powerful, powerful evidence that I don't see how anyone could listen to that and then say a calorie is a calorie. Um, you know, the, he he introduced me to the work of Wesley Price and the Price Pottinger Foundation, and it's a completely different perspective on nutrition, but it's just a much more logical and, and better one. Um, and when you stack it up against experience, my experience was that when I ate the sports nutrition diet, I got allergies, I got injuries, um, I'd got you know gut issues, and then when I went and found new knowledge, took on new experiences, then yeah, the results were completely different, and I could actually go and live my life and actually go and train the way I wanted to. So, you know, you don't you don't need a double blind study to tell you that if you get a kick in the nuts, it's going to hurt. Um, but some people will apparently do, and they need that study to be verified over and over again. Um, so, yeah, Ido Portal again, like he was a student of Charles, but then he took it in another direction. And I think there are a lot of issues with strength training for strength training's sake. If you're not involved in a sport, then Ido's system is a way to like fill in a lot of the gaps and yeah it's it's like all the gaps around strength training is kind of what Ido has has plugged and you know he's done it in a creative way he's gone more into the world of dance and you know in the end dance is is another way to move mm. and it's another system of developing the human body now how much dance do you learn if you study 
sports science and how much, you know, how appropriate would it be to go and study a ballerina? But if you look at a ballerina and you look at a, a rugby player and you think, well, which one of these is, is moving better? Which one of these has better control over their body? Um, you know, if I've just always been one that likes to explore those, those directions and um, I look for mentors who explore in different directions and present new knowledge or alternative opinions to, to the dominant thought. Like if it's, if it's in the textbooks and if it's the dominant thought, then it has to by definition be behind what the dominant thought's going to be 20 and 50 years from now. Like they're not going to keep printing that same thing. So how do you, when you, okay, then for the, for human beings, like how do, and coaches, how do we, because there's an alternative opinion that a lot of these mentors you have had, like they have an alternative approach to the common dogma or the common place opinion. But there's a lot of them, right? There's a lot of like alternative approaches. How do you think about and how would you teach people to think about knowing which ones are the most efficacious and most effective? Or is the answer try everything? But is it even practical to do that? Yeah, you can't try everything. Yeah, so and how do you ability, figure it out? Your ability to choose good good teachers, good mentors, a good tribe to run with, like that's that's the big question. This is the big question, Alex. Like, this is the million dollar question. Is because if you choose the right people to run with, like your future is, is gonna be yeah. a lot different if you don't choose the right people to run with. Exactly. Um, so uh, there's a quote from Caroline Miss I've got here. We evolve at the rate of the tribe we're plugged into. Mm. Um, I like you say plugged into because plugged into is very relevant to the 21st century. Hundred <laughs> percent. Right? Yeah. That's uh, one of my mentors challenged me recently with like, you only have, I think the number was like a hundred, uh, 176 million attention units in your lifetime. So you have to choose where you're going to put those attention units and they're disappearing one by one. So that kind of challenges. Well, I just watched this one bit of crap yeah. because, you know, I need to, I need to chill out or I, you know, I want to go down this, this, this path for a little while. Um, and yeah, we, we don't actually, you know, they are disappearing There's attention units. So who are you going to put the attention on is, is there really, that's the big question because if you don't actively really choose, like I put my attention on this stuff and I do not put my attention on this stuff, then the chances are that you're going to be, you know, watching a lot of porn, you're going to be watching a lot of Netflix, you're going to be, you know, scrolling and swiping and, and whatever at, at infinitum and, and you're going to be on, uh, you know, you're going to be buying a bunch of crap because it, it all sets you up to, to be uh, that consumer but ultimately, if you want a great life, you, you probably need to be a producer. You probably need to exercise the enterprise self um, rather than just uh, deciding to be a, a kind of a cog in the wheel and, and take a wage from someone. It's, it's a slippery slope there. And it's it's clearer than ever the fragility of, of being a wage earner and of being someone who's, right. um, who's not producing and, and, and forging their own path. So yeah. Look at guys who are, you know, have a, tr a proven track record. Look at who their mentors were. You know, um, Socrates mentored Plato. Plato mentored Aristotle. Aristotle mentored Alexander the Great. And Alexander, mm. Alexander the Great conquered most of the known worlds. Right. So there's a lineage there. Maybe you don't want to be Alexander the Great, so probably don't choose, you know, someone in the Plato lineage. If if uh, if you think that that's what the outcome was, maybe he went on a different path to them. I don't really know it deep enough, but. 
that lineage is there with uh, with Charles, like who who were Charles's teachers and who was he reaching out to? And he was always pretty open about, look, I'm learning about this guy, like about functional medicine from this guy. And um, I went to, you know, this country at this time to research this strength method. Um, like Dottilio is one of the guys that Poliquin puts out there as, you know, someone that he listened to a lot around strength. And um, not many people actually go down that rabbit hole and look at Dottilio's stuff, but he, you know, I ordered all his books and there's a website, um, that he, that, they, that he has and it's, it's how do you spell his name um it's it's like dito d-i-t-i-l-l-o i'm pretty sure is, is how you spell it thank you um it's phenomenal like yeah his books and like a lot of stuff in the strength training world i love the old time strength books like i've invested a lot more time and effort in understanding the old time strength books like bob peoples is another one if you like deadlifting bob peoples deadlifted 330 uh, at 82 kilos in uh, when he was about 40 years old in, in the 1930s. So he, he deadlifted 330 kilos at 82. There's not many guys doing that in the world today. And this was conventional. He did have the long arms, but you know, he was a phenomenal lifter. He was also a state champion in the snatch and the clean and jerk, right? So it was a different time and, and he was training on his own in, in, in his basement. He had a farm. And the, the, I just love that history in the rabbit hole of, you know, I've read his, his books and looked at the photos of where he trained and he used to get fed up with his training and throw his weights down the hill when he stagnated. Um, he would like say he's never going to train again and roll him down the hill. And his wife tells the story that, you know, then a couple of weeks later, he'd be fresh again and he'd just go and get the weights back from down the bottom of the hill. Wow, that's really <laughs> funny. Can you imagine? I love, I love that stuff. Yeah, I love that, Do you have a favorite about. book, a favorite resources and from that category uh the detail stuff is great it's not it's not that old um i mean yeah the paul anderson stuff the doug hepburn there's there's a lot of um, a lot of good books there i i kind of like the bob people stuff his method the people's method and um kind of three to five and he was very innovative like he was using um eccentrics on deadlifts and he had like a car jack system built. So he would like lift the weight back up. So like it was like uh, a pneumatic, whatever, you know, like it. Interesting. I, gyms don't even have that today. And this guy put it in his own gym that he trained on his own in a backyard, you know, like in his, in his wow. farm, like training with no one else at a time when there was no internet. Like Love that. the only way you got more information about strength training is when you turned up to a powerlifting meet and you had dinner after it and you had a chat with like, what have you been doing between, between events? You know what I mean? Like, um, and Louis Simmons even talks about that was a lot of what he did. You know, he would turn up to an event and they would chat away and, and that was how they would kind of sort of share ideas and come up with their, with their methods and systems. Um, yeah, there's a few there to follow up on. I, I don't know if yeah, there's a... No, that's good. Anthony, did you tell... I looked up Anthony. He's a, he's a pretty thick guy. Yes. <laughs> Damn, he is. He ate well. He ate a lot. Yeah, yeah. But probably... Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of shapes and sizes there. Sig Klein, Sigmund Klein is a really good one. He had a gym like right in the center of New York. And, and there were different times in strength. There were times where strength coaches, they trained the kings. You know, Eugene Sandow, he trained he trained royalty. And if you think about it, that's how it probably is now, but it's how it should be where if someone decides they want to be really, you know, physically robust and, 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 and strong, like... You should, uh, a strength trainer like Charles Poliquin is a person that you would get 
a better outcome in terms of building robust health, mental and physical than, you know, going to a specialist doctor, like a specialist doctor. If you went to him and said, like, I want to be really well, like there are a few doctors in that realm now, but most of them are going to say like, I don't know, like, get yeah. the hell out of here. <laughs> you know, right. like, what's wrong with you? Right. If you're not sick, then I can't help you. You know, so like, see, yeah, the Eugene Sandow came to Australia, you know, on boats to Adelaide, which is where the, the rich were in Australia. You know, there's even all those histories of like no convicts turned up to Adelaide. He was, he was, um, you know, teaching the, teaching his methods over there and um, around Europe. And, and, and it was about putting on a show, you know, you'd, he would put on shows in front of a massive theater audience in, in London. And, you know, the feats that they were capable of in, in strength and agility he was doing backflips with dumbbells in his hands. Like it's, I think it's on the start of the pumping iron movie and it's kind of famous footage that Eugene Sandow backflip with dumbbells in his hands. Um, but they had to be able to like really perform their thing and show like, look at how healthy I am. Look at how strong I am. And on the back of that, they would sell their, um, they would sell their books, you know, and their mail order books and equipment. And they had the same stuff of like some guys kind of sold out and they, they sold a bunch of crap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at, well, this was going on a hundred years ago. What did these guys know? What did they learn? In the time before antibiotics, if you got sick, you died. Yeah. So the people who were able, like it was always about cultivating robust health where in the modern strength scene, like we don't care about that. Like if you pick up an infection because you, you wore yourself out, you don't die. So no one cares. But... <laughs> Like at that stage, it was life and death. So the training system had to be built around, you know, it was that people had different values. I think those perspectives are just really, really valuable when you're putting together your system and you're deciding who you want to learn from. Um, Charles was a big fan of the old time strength research and that, you know, that, uh, that carries weight with me. You know, the powerlifting itself is from the seventies, you know, like it, powerlifting competitions, strength competitions used to be lots and lots of lifts. You know, there would be like 12 lifts and 10 lifts and they started to standardize things. So when you look back at that history, it's like, oh, they chose these three lifts. It's kind of arbitrary and then, you know. Now it's very commonplace and it's like, oh, this is it. This is this is obviously normal and the best way to do it, but not necessarily. Well, it's obvious it's the worst way to do it <laughs> if you want to be a human. <laughs> you need to do it for the event. And that's cool, yeah. but you need to look at someone who's actually interested in can you human as well as can you power lift. Right, like, can you human? That's beautiful. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> the extremity, like the, the the end range with that, is like you know you get better and better at less and less things until you're absolutely great at three lifts. You know, you know in the academic sense, you you, abs- you know absolutely everything about nothing is the the PhD student. Um, but the, you know, the ability to like, I, that's what I like about Westside Barber, which is the most criticized system in powerlifting, right? And it's like only valid for geared lifters and, and um, you know, the, using the suits and all that stuff. But actually that system is the only system in powerlifting, well-known system that actually keeps people athletic. You know, right. where they can actually pull jump, yeah. they pull sleds. Yeah. So they're going to, they're not going to just go and tear their Achilles the day they go and run where the majority of powerlifters know if they go and run, they're going to get hurt straight away because the hip flexors don't get trained. You know, the, the calves don't get trained through any kind of range of motion. So you become extremely fragile. Um, and then strength coaches extrapolate that out of like, well, this guy's crazy strong. I'm going to do that with my athletes. And the athletes get super strong in the gym. They snap their Achilles or they snap the ACL. And it's like, well, that was strong. It wasn't me. 
Right. But it's, it's like it. technology that doesn't work for humans. And, you know, it's important to, like, I got no issue with people wanting to powerlift. I love powerlifting. Like, I've, I've learned a lot from, you know, I've, I've been deep in that rabbit hole as well. And, yeah, it's it's super interesting to check out what, you know, what people are doing, the Russian, you know, systems. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's fantastic. But you need to understand that you're going to lose your ability to be a human as you specialize in powerlifting you know the deeper you go into powerlifting without something like the west side approach the worse you're going to get at getting up and down stairs getting in and out of bed getting up and down off the floor yeah uh, it's just, it's it goes it is, on you know? well how did you build okay i'm very curious then something i wanted to ask you what was what is your system i know you coach people to do this but getting into as much detail as you want to what is your system then to developing a really mobile flexible but strong body because you can do the splits with load overhead that's quite a rare rare feat in today's society yet it was more commonplace with a lot of the lifters back in the olden days but what was your system to achieve that like everybody knows how to get strong like that's really common in coaches but not a lot of people know how to get really flexible mobile with strength yeah and i think it it is coming around like there are there is more interest in it than there probably ever has been in my lifetime. You know, the more coaches who, who want to explore this and experience what having a, a flexible body is like, we, you know, we call it range of strength in real movement. Yeah. So it's cool to be strong, but through what range are you strong? You know, to be able to throw a javelin, you need to be strong through a massive range and just being strong on the bench press. Like if you're not throwing javelin, then you're not going to have that range and, it's you know you're gonna you're gonna tear yourself into or, or just not throw the javelin very far so for athletic performance you need that extreme range of strength you know if you look at usain bolt um if you watch his documentary you see that his coach was checking his range he's kind of master coach checking his range before every session and he had amazing passive range in his hips um, hamstrings hip flexors you can see them testing that all the time and without it, you just cannot run fluidly. So your shoelaces are tied together. So how do you actually, how do you get that? Hmm. Well, yeah, it's not as, it's not as complicated as people would think. Um, you, you know, you gain in the range that you train. So you have to train in increasing ranges. You just need to choose the movements that allow you to train. And, and I think this is uh, kind of what we call strength training 3.0 with real movement is um, one of the components of that is understanding that extreme outer range exercises have distinct characteristics and have distinct outcomes um, compared to inner range exercises. So an inner range um, exercise, as an example, uh, might be inner range for the rectus femoris would be like your L sit and, and trying to raise into a V sit. Um, or it could be, you know, hanging from the bar, like a strict, uh, strict toast bar. Where you, and the, the top position there, you're going to find that real inner range um, for your, you know, for your rectus femoris. So those exercises where they're kind of crampy and a lot of times people will cramp when they do that. Hmm. That's really the extreme inner range. Um, tricep kickbacks are another example, an extreme inner range exercise. So in an extreme inner range exercise, you're getting very little passive tension uh, loading, passive tissue loading, right? So it's mostly the contractile component that's getting things done and the connective tissues are not 
taking much of the load because they're in the inner range. Their connective tissues are not stretched. So the, you know, the tendons and the fascia, ligaments, et cetera, are not under tension. So these extreme inner range positions are very important for tissue healing. They're very important for um, creating blood flow in an area without causing a lot of um, tendon and fascial adaptation. So you see in the West side Bible system, they'll use a lot of uh, lying hamstring curls, the banded hamstring curl. Now the banded hamstring curl, where, where is it difficult? In which stage of the movement is it, is it difficult? Yeah. It's difficult when the, the butt, the heel is close to the butt, right? That's, that's the, where it's going to be harder because that's where the band is going to be under stretch the most. Um, so what is the opposite of that then is like the Romanian deadlift, right? Or if we go back um, to the to the quad, we're going to be looking at something like a, a sissy squat, um, something like a knees over toes squat. You know, okay. obviously Ben Patrick's been a huge influence on my last few few years of strength knowledge. This extreme outer range strength is undeveloped, un, you know, it's not spoken about. And without it, you just, yeah, you're not going to have strength in those end positions. So um, the RDL is a great exercise to be able to, to, to use to increase extreme outer range strength. So you're going to notice when you're getting to the bottom of the RDL, you have a lot of connective tissue tension that is contributing to your ability to stop the weight as it wants to fall into the floor. Hmm. Your muscles are going to be doing some of the work, but the connective tissue is going to be doing a bunch of the work, right? So the fundamental difference between these exercises, it's probably sounds obvious as we're talking about it now, but how much time was actually spent on educating you on this when, you know, you study your ASCA level one, or you study, Mm. you know, your your three years that you, that you, that you put into uh, the university system and and all that lost income of of being a full-time student, et cetera. If you don't understand how to use the different parts of the, you know, the strength curve and, and where, then you're not really a strength coach. And to be honest, again, the dogma, bodybuilding coaches and such, the best bodybuilding coaches deeply understand this. They don't often speak about it as clearly as, and I hope I'm getting my point across, but it's, it's not actually uh, spoken about that much. But the best bodybuilding coaches, when you look at their routines, it's like, oh yeah, inner range, mid range, outer range. I got it. Yeah. And you look at the Poliquin arms programs and, and things like this that he, you know, he taught, taught um, he, pr- he published with uh, Tim Ferriss and, and those things. It's like, oh yeah, boom, boom, boom. But to the untrained eye, it just looks like, oh, he's just chosen three arm exercises. But no, he chose inner range, mid range, outer range. But Charles wasn't a, a big fan of the extreme outer range. And the extreme outer range is something that guys like John Grimek, who is a champion bodybuilder, champion uh, weightlifter, powerlifter, who could do the splits um, just absolutely phenomenal strength his overhead pressing strength like still you know r- rarely matched into in today's world but he could also you know do a back bridge do the splits like bodybuilder crazy strong splits so you don't have to leave anything behind potentially to be the world's best powerlifter you may want to be wearing a squat suit and a bench suit full time how do you do that? You never take the squat suit off. You never take the bench suit off. You build it under the skin. So you just become crazy, crazy tight so that your fascia is taking as much of the tension as possible. You train a limited range and you never go outside that range so that you can be tight as anything. 
that's an extreme sacrifice to make because you can't human anymore. <laughs> you know, you, you, you become extremely fragile and that's why those guys get pec tears and they get, you know, they get things popping, um, tricep tears and such like the loads are extreme. And I mean, it is what it is at the pointy end of extreme competitive sport. And you can see with Westside Barbell, cause they went to the extreme, the extreme with that, with the suits, where the loads are, you know, crazy. They're much, much higher loads that they're using compared to the raw guys. So they had to develop better technology to underpin that so they wouldn't just all fall apart. And that's what Louis did. Louis had uh, serious, terrible injuries and he came up with a better system. Um, now with raw powerlifting, it's not quite as challenging as, as the, the suited stuff. So the loads aren't quite as extreme so they can get away without that underpinning technology. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the extreme outer range that has to be trained and has to be developed to, to develop that flexibility, um, in a functional sense, you can stretch a lot and static stretching has its place and, you know, it can, it can be used, but for strong guys with a weight training background, it's generally not the place to start. The place to start is training that extreme outer range. So you're going to look for two joint stretch. So if I wanted to train extreme outer range of the bicep, inner range bicep training would be like your spider curl or something facing down into the bench. Um, and it's going to feel crampy for the muscle, right? The extreme outer range then would be like laying back on the bench and, and doing curls. So like the Comerford curl is a curl variation. Pollock always went into like incline curls that would go back to say like a 60 degrees or maybe even a 45 degrees. I don't even know if you went to 45 degrees. We go all the way to laying back flat on the bench. Mm, okay. okay. So strength training 3.0, you need to have that extreme outer range. You want to be good at the spider curl. Why do you want to be good at the spider curl then? Why don't we just trash all that stuff? Well, there's healing in the spider curl. It's also, if you want to be able to lock off a one-arm chin, you want that extreme yes. inner range. Yeah. Right? So Great this point. is functionally, you need the inner range and you need the outer range. Now, you, you want to, if you want to be able to do the V-sit, you need that rectus femoris to be happy, strong, comfortable in the extreme inner range. So then for the um, extreme outer range, you, you want to be able to, if you want to be able to do something like a gymnastics back lever, if you want to be, I think it's like the septo curl, you know, you get down to the bottom muscle up and then you gradually go down into a back lever. Perfect recipe to pop your bicep, right? Like there's a lot of 40 year olds, I'm almost there, who pop their biceps trying to do a back lever, you know. Um, it's a great way to do it. And it just shows, well, that range hasn't been developed. Like the way you don't pop your bicep in that position is to do curls laying down on like a, on a high bench, you know? So you're laying down and you're getting a full stretch through the pec and the bicep laying on your back. That movement is going to tear you apart. You're going to want to use like six kilos or three kilos when you first do that. Mm. And you're going to be like, wow, I'm crazy weak in yeah. an extreme outer range. And this whole complex, like I'm feeling pec minor, I'm feeling pec, I'm feeling biceps, I'm feeling, you know, uh, brachialis. Um, but if you want to be able to do those other movements or if you just don't want to go and tear your bicep, because bicep tears are becoming more common, rugby league players tear their bicep. Usually it's contact with them, but would it tear as easily, as violently if it had a little bit more range in it, right? Yeah. So um, this is a question worth answering. And I think if you become a real student of strength training and strength training history and, and, and kind of zoom out a little bit from strength training and actually look at, well, what can wrestlers do? What can, you know, what can judo players do? What can a Kung Fu master do? What can a ballerina do? 
Like these are all humans too. So why does our system negate their ability to do what they do? You know, why doesn't it take us towards some of those characteristics or, you know, how can they coexist? And that's, um, you know, that's where we get into with our strength training and, you know, Ben Patrick, I believe he's a genius and I believe he's taken the, the system, the, the, the thought process and the methodology of Poliquin, um, the way he trained arms is there in the way Ben trains knees. Mm. Right? So the ranges are there. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's super powerful stuff. So how Tom would you, Platt's- I'm sorry to interrupt, but how, I'm curious, how would you, inter- how would you then apply that to like the splits? If you talk about hips and hamstring? Yes. So, I mean, Ben talks about how he got the splits accidentally by doing more split squats than, than anyone's ever done. So he did 10,000 split squats. He talks about he's done over 10,000 split squats. So his hip flexor on that back leg is, you know, the ATG style split squat. Yeah. It's an extreme range split squat. We got to clarify. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's not a Bulgarian split squat. Yeah. It's not even the Poliquin style. Like it's, it, you're taking it even further. And he actually did a bunch of them with the back leg slightly elevated in that style and and you'll notice most most men especially cannot do a flat ground split squat like it takes a significant um, effort to get to being able to do a flat ground split squat with the heel on the ground and the back knee not touching the floor right so that um, that atg split squat is going to give you that hip flexor range with enough time and load that's going to give you the the hip flexor component and then the the front the hamstring um, that's going to come from things like your rdl you know if you're doing um if you're taking a a real full range on the rdl Mm. they also use the jefferson curl in the in the system there so if if you develop both sides of that equation to a high degree then the, the splits are there so he actually got those front splits you know by accident like just by um, by default and then when you look at it and you know he, he has his times and his jumps and those things like his his uh, 40 yard dash you know that they like to test in the u.s was like six and a half seconds or something it was like you know phenomenally slow his his uh, one of his uh, coaches actually made him take off his shoes and, and prove that he didn't have weights in his shoes because he was so slow and he looked so unathletic like he literally was like um, embarrassed in front of his, his team and they used to call him the old man because he used to take ages to warm up as like a 14, 15, 16 year old. So hmm. the challenge is, it's a good lesson for anyone. Like the thing that you like least about yourself and the thing that you, you know, you, you, you really can't accept is probably where your, your gift may lie. Um, and so, you know, now with that range and with the strength that he's developed, you know, he's, he's fast. He's, he's, he's legitimately fast. He's thrown down windmill dunks at 6'2", white guy. It's not that common. Like, there might be a couple other white guys out there that do that, but he was actually the worst of the worst. Like, he was, you know, he couldn't jump. He couldn't run. He had multiple surgeries. So, you know, for me, that's like, well, he's someone worth listening to. Like, right. this is this is someone. When I first saw his stuff, 2018, he had like 50 online members. I was like, this guy's on something. And I was like, started sharing. Like, this guy's on something. This guy's on something. And, you know, it blew up and, and he's a master of marketing and, and social media as well as a master of knees. And, and when you're a master of two things, then, you know, you, you have a great life ahead of you. Um, if you can be really, really good at, at two things, then you open all sorts of doors. Um, can you back so, up? You just, you mentioned something like your, where your gift 
where you're most insecure, where you're most weakest, is where your gift may lie. Yeah. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? That's that's interesting. I haven't heard that before. Yeah. I th- <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing that you hate, you know, the thing you can't accept. Yeah. Like, that's where you should do your life work. <laughs> like, that's the... Oftentimes, you know, not 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 for everybody, but um, yeah, like, what was it for you? That's what I think. There were, there, I mean, there's a few of them. Yeah, I had a lot of trouble with my gut, yeah. and there was a lot of trouble with my gut, and a lot of people in my family have had a lot of trouble with their gut. Yeah, same. And if the gut's not good, the brain's not good. Yeah, and that's that's not cool. So the research is really clear on that. We're looking at mental health statistics. If we're looking at you know, there's, there's challenging times in mental health right now. There's challenging times um, for a lot of people. So the best place to start is is with the gut. And if the gut is not good, then address that. So I had to dive deep into ancestral nutrition and, and lots of different health protocols. And um, that's been a gift, you know, like that helped me to understand that modern medicine doesn't have the answers. If the goal is health and vitality, modern medicine uh, it has very little to offer. The pharmacy has very, very little to offer if, you, if your goal is health and vitality. So where are the solutions? And finding those solutions, I'm infinitely grateful for that. And I wouldn't have found them if I didn't have to. I, I went to the doctor when I was 16, 17, and I said, like, this is what's going on. Like constipation, it's pains, like, it hurts to, you know, all the time. Like, and uh, he's like, well, okay. Um, I think what we could call this is uh, a syndrome that doesn't really... Uh, Syndrome sort of means we don't really know what the hell's going on and we don't actually have any medicine for that. So um, go and see this naturopath. And fortunately, he actually sent me to this kind of crazy witch woman who did gave me some stuff, you know, some greens and some clay and some fish oils and some herbal medicine. And it, it did help to make an improvement. She didn't give me the full solution. She didn't actually tell me uh, anything that I should stop eating. Um, so it took uh, some years after that to really overcome it. But um, at that time I realized, okay, yeah, like that modern medicine can put their hand up and say, yeah, we have no idea how to fix that. And if they were honest, they would do that about just about everything. <laughs> um, so then we have to look at the other things. So yeah, that, that's been a, an amazing gift. Uh, I was incredibly weak, <laughs> you know, uh, I, it took a lot of work to get to being able to do two plates. I mean, I mean, two plates, yeah, or even one, one plate, you know, like the 20 kilos either side. I remember the day, you know, that was a big achievement for me on the bench press to bench press 60 kilos, you know, where I worked in rugby league, everyone can bench press 60 kilos on the first date with the under 16 year olds, you know, like the, there's a- Hold on, did you work in, you didn't work in rugby league while you're at that level of strength, did you? No, it had been, I'd been, uh, well, I started not too long after that, but you know, uh, I started weight training a little bit at like 14. Um, I started training reasonably consistently, maybe 15, 16. And then I finally had a gym membership because you weren't allowed to go to gyms and all that bullshit. As well. Yeah, you remember? I, I remember that. I was like, uh, at university, I got a gym membership at the at the university gym. Yeah. I was a hockey player, and I had a scholarship from the um, from the university for for hockey. So that included the gym membership, and I wanted to go anyway. I was studying exercise science, and so I went with a friend of mine. And um, my friends were much stronger than me, and. Yeah, it was like a huge deal for me when I finally got to be able to put the, the like a little, a little bit less embarrassing, put the put the twenties on there and bench press you know sixty <laughs> kilos. Um, I did. I benched like a hundred, 
like two years after that at you know maybe 76 kilo body weight and that's around the time i was starting to work in um, rugby league like just doing my work experience and stuff um, for university that's how it started uh, with the Parramatta eels so i think yeah i'd been learning to clean and yeah i benched i, I benched 100 my squat would have been terrible my deadlift would have been you know somewhere around my bench like i would have been deadlifting you know like in the 100 120 kind of range and i was experimenting with some deeper squats listening to uh dan john but mm. there was still like heavy dogma of like don't do anything yeah you get injured yeah. Like, young strength coaches don't realize what it was like but when i went through university like i'm you know coming up on 40 when i went to university it was like you you don't even think about doing a clean or a snatch unless you're you're going to like specialize in that if you're not like a phd in weightlifting and you're not going to a weightlifting club like you, you can't you can't look at that fortunately i was introduced to uh, hayden Knowles, who was the strength coach at the Parramatta eels at that time he's with the panthers now he's worked with a lot of different teams um, great guy great mentor great strength coach um, hayden Knowles loved weightlifting uh, he had an athletics background and in athletics um, he was a he was a champion discus thrower despite being much much shorter than most discus throwers so he's very technical very fast and his weight training you know mattered for him fortunately he'd been introduced to weightlifting um in athletics and you know he had a, a, a good approach to that and i think that was part of the reason why you know he had success as a strength coach but I was lucky to get introduced to that stuff quite early. The snatch kind of came later. Like I played with it a little bit, the power snatch at that time, but I, I did get to, you know, a hundred kilo clean um, around, you know, around that time, like 21, 22, which is quite uncommon for a hockey player and probably reasonably uncommon for a, like a junior strength coach at that time. Hmm. doesn't seem like much now if you're looking at CrossFit and such, but I mean, it's still not too bad for a, you know, I was like, yeah, 75, 76 kilos or so at that time. Um, young, young fella. So young Keegan Smith, how much, how so much has changed? <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Like others, I think being super weak and being kind of sickly, yeah. probably the gifts that I had. Um, so, yeah. I want to, in, in very relevant that we talk about units of time. And uh, I think you only have a select amount of units of attention um, I want to be respectful of that, Keegan. Would you like to, because I, I obviously have plenty more to pick your brain about, but I want to be respectful. Do you want to go for another 10, 15 minutes or do you have to go to your family now? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, there may have been a little bit of background noise here and there through the podcast. I apologize for that. It's not Alex's fault. I'm staying <laughs> with family and there literally is not a quiet room available uh, that has uh, internet. So. We're doing pretty well, I think. I appreciate it though. Um, well, let me... Let me ask then, like, why speak to me? Like, who am I? Like, I'm not some pop. We're not some big organization. I'm not some popular podcaster. Like, you, you have selected your time to invest into this conversation and the people who hear it. Why? There's a bunch of reasons, and and I think this is a good lesson for junior coaches as well. Like, if you show enthusiasm and you're ready to do the work. Mm doors will open for you uh, more than you can imagine you know just putting your cv in at a pro club and saying please you know let me let me come here or pay me to come here like that's probably not going to work but for someone if if i see that someone is is really putting effort into what they do and into their craft then um 
I, I like to support them. You know, there's a degree to which you can, you know, give your time and support. And there's a point where you have to have a commitment as well, you know. Um, but yeah, like doors will open for anyone who, you know, is, is really ready to, to kind of do the work. And yeah, it takes, it takes effort. It takes courage to, to put together a podcast. I looked on your, um, your Instagram. I can see like, you know, he's done a bunch of these and he's got, he's had some cool people on here. And, you know, this is cool. Um, Appreciate it. It's also an opportunity for me to, you know, to, to practice. And when, when one person teaches two people learn, you know what I mean? And, and your, your questions, you know, give me something to reflect on and it's all, it's all kind of practice. You know what I mean? Like, um, mm. it's not that I think that there's going to be, uh, some kind of huge opportunity or some kind of massive surge in, in, in business and success that comes off, off this podcast, but it's like, it's, a, it's another piece. It's another connection. You never know where, where it's going to lead to. So, um, That's good fair. things often come from, from these and, um, yeah, it gives me a, a chance to connect and, and share something else. Like when you put it up, I'll share it. And um, some people who, you know, people get a different perspective on, on what I've been learning and such. So um, there's a lot of different yeah, benefits that can, can come from it. But you should be selective about what you, you know, what you do with your time. But investing in these kind of conversations, like that's what my life is about. Like yeah. I've invested my life in, in learning this stuff and I learn it to, to, to apply it to myself, but also to teach it. So you're giving me a teaching opportunity. I actually did one of these yesterday for a member of our community, um, Dan Garbett, been working with him for about 18 months. Um, he's just launched his business in a bit of a different direction. He's gone like deep into NLP and um, you know, he, still, he still has his training and such, but he's launched a new program. He asked me to speak to his career say, and there was literally you know, a couple of people on the call yesterday and I spoke about sovereignty and the components of, of that. And like, it was valuable. If, if someone got something out of that, like if, if eight people are going to listen to this and one of them drops you a DM and says, you know, that was valuable, that empowered me to do X, Y, Z, then, you know, happy days. So, uh, yeah, I love this stuff. You know? I appreciate your candor so much, um, Keegan. And I don't know if uh, you're aware because... We, I, we reached out to you through Orphic, which is one podcast I host, and the one you saw on my social media personally, which I don't know which one you looked at, but that's my own personal one. So, But regardless whether you just made those distinctions, um, I thought opportune time, I would love to do this in person with you if you're enthusiastic to one day um, in Melbourne. Would you be open to that? For sure. Yeah. Or you can come to Europe. We're going to be moving <laughs> to the Isle of Sark. Are you serious? Just off, just off the coast of France and the Channel Islands. So. Oh, uh, well, you're moving to Germany? We're in Germany at the moment. We're just here with family. But we're, yeah, that's that's where we're in, on the, in the process of uh, moving to. Hopefully, travel becomes a lot easier one day and you can come and visit us. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't know that. Is this like, maybe I'm a bit slow. Is this, as if you announced this, that you're moving to Germany? Uh, I don't know if it warrants an announcement in the, <laughs> in the modern world. I've had a few DMs like fair enough. All right, all right. Up to. All right. But uh, wow. everything's online these days. Uh, if if travel becomes less restricted, or when travel becomes less restricted, uh, we'll we'll definitely be back in Australia again and, uh, and around the world. But for now, it's probably going to be uh, mostly online, online. You know, communicating and, and probably not as much travel for the next little bit but 
we'll see. No one really knows what's coming next. So. Absolutely. Um, I want to, because I want to be respectful to the, the, the people who are listening, which are very tailored towards um, young coaches, personal trainers, like Orphic, what we do is we, we deliver certificate threes and fours in fitness, right? And so we have this really uh, opportune opportunity to teach and educate, like f- we lay the foundation. And it's something that we really, I think it's a very special thing to value very highly when you have someone fresh and you can be the lay the foundation for them as you do in your career. I wonder, what are the biggest gaps in knowledge you see young personal trainers and certificate threes and fours that they have that you think we collectively need to address? Or they do? Yeah, it's a big question. Um, I guess... Uh, I often fall into just being straight out negative about that system because that government education is, is probably something that I've rebelled against quite a lot. And I've kind of had a bit of a grudge against having been subjected to one for sort of uh, whatever, how many years it was, 16, 17 years. Um, and there's a lot of unlearning that was required after that to, to have a good life and to be a good coach. In fact, um, so <laughs> Um, what you're going to deliver to those guys, I, I can tell, you know, just from our time here that it's you're going to be delivering something genuine and not just a product to, to punch someone through and, and be a number. Absolutely. Um, I think there are huge problems with that system and, and, yeah. and most of the coach education systems. And, you know, rather than whine about that, you know, I've, I've built my own and, and I guess that's what you're doing as well. So that's, that's cool and commendable. Uh, I don't know how much you have to stick to the, the curriculum and such, you know, that's, I don't like to be involved in, in those systems and even CCs and those sorts of things. Can I give you a little like- bit of a, uh, a framework of what we can do? Because yes, there is government. Um, the government do set the, how do I say units of competency that are required, right? These are like categories, like, um, strength and conditioning unit or anatomy and physiology unit but within that there is quite a bit of flexibility into what you deliver there but you have to be able to justify it to the above governing body but once you've done that there is especially more flexibility so i just want to mention that and interrupt because yes like if we want to start teaching about some other alternative approaches to nutrition and strength and conditioning we can Knowing that, where would you go? What would you add into that foundation? Well, it's probably what real movement is, to be honest. You know? <laughs> I mean, we, don't, we don't teach all of those things because um, we teach things that you know, so that people can go straight out and get results. And generally, they've had those kinds of education before. Already, um, yeah. But, I mean... Yeah, look into, you know, look into the, I've quoted a lot of people that have had a big influence on me today, like be hungry for, for research and to, to dive in. And if you want a, a briefer version of it, you know, our education is $100 a month. Um, and often people will say in their first month that they've learned more than they learned. Sometimes they'll say they learned more than they learned in their, their degree or sometimes they'll say they've learned more than they, you know, learned in their Career. first number of years like getting put onto the right resources is, is is massively valuable like in the last two months I've, I've started working with a new mentor in a different field and the things that he's exposed me to 
which I'd been researching the area for like 18 months, like to, to take on a, a new level of understanding. It's kind of like in finance and wealth. Like I decided I'm sick of not knowing what to do in this area and for not sure. understanding what actually goes on. Like, yeah. There's no real benefits to the ignorance that I have in that area. So I'm going to overcome that. So I started to research myself and I invested in a mentor like quite early on in that, but it only taught me like just a little piece, which is a piece that I needed around, um, you know, uh, change of business structure and such. But the guy that I've started working with over the last two months, Paul Council, he's introduced me to all these new resources and every you know book and, and video that I'm watching, I just feel like, oh, okay, like I know a whole big chunk more now. And I'd been researching myself for a long time. It, like it really matters um, which ideas you're exposing yourself to. And one of the fastest ways to success is to have someone else who's already achieved the results that you want to achieve yeah. filter you know, filter the ideas and it's you know it's it's super valuable like i invested in in working with um this guy and are you comfortable you know, sharing his name paul council yeah oh that's so, his, how do you spell his last name uh, c-o-u-n-s-e-l and he's like um thank you I think he's like 63, 64. He's not, he's not doing much on, on YouTube and such. He's kind of semi-retired as a farm down in Tasmania. And we're kind of bringing him out of retirement to to teach well. So that's the new product that I'm launching is called Money Club. And it's he's the teacher and I'm helping to kind of bring a group of people together who want to learn from him. Okay. Um, and it's, but it's just been, it's been mind-blowing. The things that he's exposed me to, like the information that I've gained just in the first two months of working with him, um, you know, there's a lot of profiling things that you learn about yourself and then all these other resources that it's exposed me to. Like, I just never would have found any of it. Like it would have, it would have taken me 20, 30 years and I probably still wouldn't have got there. You know what I mean? So like just choosing to invest with him, like, and it's a sizable investment that I made. Um, but I, it's already paid for itself. Like I'm two months in and it's, it's like already clear that this is, this is paid for itself. And in my uh, expectation or my uh, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty confident that you know it's going to pay for itself like a hundred or a thousand times over um, over the next three five ten years you know like I think sometimes coaches don't look at like well, where am I going to be you know, three to five years from now and just working harder doesn't get you anywhere if you're not heading in the right direction you know yeah. like I think young coaches especially in the information age like you think oh, i'll just work it out myself and you just you, you won't you know you'll you'll do what most coaches do which is um start get frustrated and then go and sell medical supplies or go and you know you change careers like most people don't don't make it to the point of ever actually making a livable wage you know, they battle along with you know part-time money and you just you know you got to get around someone who makes money in in what you want to do if you if, if making money in, in the profession is your goal if you've got parents that want to pay your way or a partner or someone else that's going to pay your way in life then that's cool but i mean paul check and charles pollock and anito portal now that i think about it are probably three of the guys that have made the most money in, in in fitness and performance as well with something legit they're not just um you know they're not not to poo poo but like you know there's those inf instagram influencers who ha have their $20 ebook and some maybe some of those guys make more money than, than these guys but oftentimes those they don't really have any kind of real educational value to offer the world these guys have massive value to offer the world and they commercialized it and that's you know that's what I, I respect like I I love the fact that they turned that into a serious business and 
I think if you don't turn it into a serious business, it's going to be much more difficult for you to have the impact that you want, you know? So that, that's, uh, it's something that doesn't get talked about much. Like, yes, we talk about all the nuances of strength and conditioning and anatomy physiology and human science, right? That is so important, right? That's, that's the most obviously important part. But you realize as a coach, you're a professional, you're a business. Like, you, you don't just have to survive, you can thrive. Um, I was talking to Carl Goodman yesterday, Athletes Authority co-owner, and we were talking about this. And I wonder, off the back of that, what is one kind of principle that Paul Council has taught you that it kind of shifted your mentality, if you don't mind sharing? That, you know, could be valuable most, to young coaches. The most, yeah, the most powerful concept, I guess, is mind flex, right? So that's probably the thing that comes up most often. So we're profiling a lot of the coaches that we're working with. Some of the coaches, because we've been doing this money club with our strength and conditioning coaches. So they've, you know, I don't call them strength and conditioning coaches because it's, it rules out the ballet and the dancing and whatever and the, the real sports. But with the coaches in real movement, we've been, you know, we've offered them a money club introduction. Paul's been teaching to them. So I get to learn a bunch of new stuff because I'm seeing him lecture. Seeing him teach in lectures and stuff has been phenomenal in itself and has inspired me to become a much better teacher than I have been. And so there's just so much value in all of those things. But one of the concepts that he keeps coming back to is uh, mind flex. Okay. So, your ability to um, change your mind and to move in the direction that you know you need to move in. Um, we've been profiling our coaches. Okay, so we've made a, a profiling system available to them. It's called genius typing and spiral typing, and you know it's what would be a, a considerable investment to, to to most of our coaches to add to that because our program's only hundred dollars a month. Like it's twenty five bucks a week. It's crazy cheap. Like it's so we attract sometimes people that are happy to make a really small investment the spiral typing and the genius typing is a bigger investment. And so it's only the guys that are a bit more serious about learning about themselves and wealth that are taking that test. One of the key scores in the spiral type is the mind flex. And that is your ability to like, okay, you see that you need to make this change. Now, can you actually go and make it? Um, so, you know, to jump to another area, there's, you know, we live in a time of serious financial turbulence. Some people think that we are already coming out the other side of the challenges that have been generated by the current situation, I would suggest that it hasn't started yet. It hasn't, Agreed. we haven't started to see the consequences totally. economically of what's going on. So some people are being exposed to this idea and then they're being challenged. Well, how does your current, where you're positioned currently with your finances, how is that going to go through this next phase? Mm -hmm. um, and they sort of could see what's going to happen, but their lack of mind flex kind of paralyzes them to, to take any action on that. So you can like see what's coming, like you can see a, a train wreck or a car crash, but you, you don't have the flexibility to turn the wheel or to hit the brake, you know what I mean? And um, I think a lot of coaches are stuck in that as well, where it's like, I know this system doesn't really work. Like my body doesn't feel like I want it to feel. I'm not getting the results that I want to get with people. And yet, I, like they just don't turn the wheel because they're being told, well, that's the path to go down. You know, calories are calories, stick with this approach. Like, hang on, that person's working with people to get them on stage for 12 weeks with, you know, potentially narcissistic, like extremely disciplined people to get them on stage and get a result. Is that the situation that you're working with? Are you working with those people? No, you're not working with those people. You're working with these people who want to look better, feel better and, and live a good life. And they're already maybe mentally challenged and stressed. And you're applying this approach that's like for this 0.1% of the population when you're dealing with 
the, the 99%, 97%. Um, so yeah, that mind flexibility to kind of zoom out and, and then make changes is, is probably the, the key thing that he will challenge us on. So it's on a scale. Generally, I think it's one to 30. My score was 18. He likes to see above 20. So if you're above 20, then you may be able to be successful in like things like trading gold and silver and such like cryptocurrency trading, etc. If you have a flexibility score, mind flex sort of, of eight, then, you know, he'll say you have the flexibility of a rock and it's unlikely that even learning a great system of trading, you, you're, you're not going to be able to adapt to, to be able to trade. It's about um, being able to read the, the situations and the changes in the market and changes in like public sentiment. You know, if you look at socionomics is a super interesting thing to check out. That was one of the nuggets that, that he dropped. Um, Robert Prechter. I'd never heard of this guy before. I listened to him speak for an hour and I was just absolutely mind blown. And it's like, I would never have come across this guy had I not, you know, gone down this, this, this path. And there's a whole list of people that are on that list of like, man, I'm so glad I've this, I know who this guy is now. And I've listened to him, you know, speak and people can, you can, uh, talk down a YouTube education, but if, if, if the education that you're listening to is literally a world leader speaking to his peers, mm. then I don't, I don't know how you can criticize that. You know, if, if they've got the, you know, the best education, the best runs on the board and you're listening to them speak to, to their peers in a way that they, you know, they want to be respected for and they're going to be questioned and challenged, then there's, there's really, uh, you're not going to get that at your local university. Like Robert Prechter is not coming to speak at, at Wollongong University or Melbourne University or any of those places any anytime soon or, um, so that, yeah, the mind flex is, is the big thing to cultivate. How do you cultivate it? I actually don't really, really know yet, but I think that um, I'm excited to find out, you know, like it's, it's going to take me a long while. It's going to take me a couple of years of going hard with this to get my, ha my hands on it and to get my head around it in the same way it took with, with Paul Jack and Charles Bollockman and Theodore Portal. And that's okay. You know, I'm okay with that. Like study it hard for a few months get into it, you know, experience as much as you can. If you want to go further, then go further. But like, um, yeah, I think that's, that's my system for living in education. And so far I can't complain, you know, it's life is getting better. And Why do you think your life's getting better? What are you doing? Like, like what, you know, helping other people and just solving, you know, continuing to experiment with solving your own challenges. Like, we got to a position last year. It's like, yeah, I don't really like the position I'm in. So we made changes, like sold the house, changed countries, um, started a new business. <laughs> like, it's like, and yeah, I mean, just, I think accepting, it's like um, pain tolerance is praised in Western society, right? Like yeah. the more David pain you tolerate. So it's, it's, it's like the system that we live in now, it's like the foot is on the throat and it's, it's gradually pressing a little bit harder. And it's like, at what point are you going to like just roll out from under that and, and go walk away and, and go like, you know, walk up a mountain and, and take in the view. Like we don't need, you don't need to just stay and endure pain, like look for the solutions. You know, that's, that's what, and, and we go through cycles of that. Like, and that's part of the spiral test is you see at what stage in the cycle you're at. Like, are you on the plateau before you're about to either go into a pain point where you're going to look for, for a new life? Or are you in that pain point or did you skip the pain point and you, you kind of made a big jump in your life without actually getting down into the pit of, of, of some serious, um, you know, sadness and trouble or have you just come out the other side and you kind of like 
going to head towards the the next challenge kind of thing. So um, there are always going to be those cycles, but you can have a higher baseline. You can have a higher baseline of joy. You can have a higher baseline of health, of wealth, of connections. Absolutely. And yeah, the fun is like raising that, that baseline. Um, yeah. Life's getting better because I'm connected to more good people. Like that's one of my, my core values. My health is, is good. Um, my performance did suffer a little bit through the last few months. If I'm honest, um, I didn't, um, train as well as I would have liked up there in Noosa. Uh, we were packing up the house and I was launching this business and I started with this new mentor and uh, it wasn't my best three months to train. I, I trained quite a bit and, you know, it wasn't all bad. I hit a personal best on my five ball juggle, which is a measure of mind flex in a way. Like we do, I have been trying to embody a bunch of these principles that I'm learning with Paul. So there's nice crossover with, with some of these things, but um, yeah, life's getting better for, for all those reasons. Uh, and I guess, you know, I'm also learning. I've been reflecting and reading uh, Aristotle yesterday mm. and um, talking about happiness being the end, you know, and you, you get the status, you get the wealth, you get all those things towards the end of happiness. Um, and I've posted around that a couple of times and people come back to me with like, no, it's not happiness, it's fulfillment. And um, those are good questions to, you know, to answer and things to pose to ourselves. But to me, the fulfillment seems like a place you don't like it, if you look at the words, like you're full and you're filled mm. um, and meant it can be mind in uh, Latin mente is a uh, mind in Spanish, but you don't want to have a full mind. Like you want to be that empty cup. Like you want to be on the journey. You want to be learning. Um, so happy and not satisfied is really what I'm going for. Like, so I got so far to go and I'm excited for that. Like I got so much to learn and, and so many things that I'm not doing yet that I would, you know that i'd love to be doing and i can be critical of myself with them but like have you know i have a beautiful family i have, have a beautiful you know uh, opportunity i have great people in my life and i get to share this stuff like this is my job effectively to to share this message with you and and to share it with the people who choose to invest in it like what a gift i, I couldn't have imagined when i went through university that i would have a life this good and an opportunity you know this big it wasn't on the radar there was no possibility that that would be my future. It didn't, it didn't occur to me. I had no idea what I would do, but it, it didn't occur to me that I could have, you know, basically just set up everything I want and have, you know, get, make, make more money, helping more people, um, being more creative, exploring new ideas. Like it wasn't, it wasn't on the radar at all. So what well, wasn't, did you think about it at all? Did you envision this? Or, I mean, I guess you didn't, but did you envision it all? Or were you just too like, no, you didn't think about it. Out of public, out of public education, man, you can't, you can't, you can't think about much when you go through the school system. Like teachers, teachers are living in that little box, you know. Like unless you get the right mentor and the right inspiration, right, that can just spark you. Yeah, I, I was entrepreneurial, like, and I think instinctively many of us are entrepreneurial. Like, if you listen to Gary Vee and some of these guys, they'll say, yeah, like I was out mowing lawns. I loved washing cars. You know, uh, when we went out and washed cars for the day and I'd come home with like 200 bucks and, and, you know, when I was like eight years old or 12 years old, like that was a ton of money. And at that time, like with inflation, now that's worth a lot less. At that time, you could buy a bunch of whatever. I didn't even I didn't think I wanted to buy anything. I wasn't like, I'm saving for this thing. I just loved going out and, and making some money and being of service to people. Like it's, it's something that was 
in me uh, from an from an early phase mm. um and i think i lost a lot of that through schooling you know like i think that could have been cultivated earlier in my life had you know my, my parents aren't really on on that sort of buzz they're not business um, people so it didn't occur to me like i i just didn't know how it worked i didn't I had no concept of it so you know doing commerce and stuff at school like it's the first thing from actually knowing what a business you know running a business feels like now, now i have um, 10, 10 staff i think it's maybe yeah, eight full-time staff you know in the business that i run and it wasn't i couldn't have i couldn't have dreamed of it but you you know you can dream of the next step but to be honest like you feel like crap when you don't know what that next step is you don't even know which direction you're meant to run in like you're on a place and you, you don't know whether yeah, you're stuck which which and and that's that's kind of how you feel that's how i felt through late high school that's how i felt through university a lot of the time the only thing that gave me a compass and a direction was like i wanted to go to the olympics for hockey and i was i was playing hockey and when i went hard at that things were okay or if i just try to get good grades you know like at least it gave me some direction even if i didn't really know where it was going to lead but i think that uncertainty for like teenagers and, and early 20s like the really tough time in a lot of people's lives because they just have no idea what's possible for them and they just see lives of quiet desperation around them they see people living in a way that you know they i don't want to do that <laughs> i don't know what i want but i don't want that you know is that's how i felt about you know during high school and, and, and during university like i was like I'm, there's no way i'm getting a nine to five like that's that's not happening and i never have um, i worked some a few kind of labor jobs and truck driving and stuff like this but i never worked uh you know nine to five in a in a normal kind of job for yeah, like never. So um, I, I was sure of what I was rejecting, but I didn't right. know what I wanted. Um, and then, yeah, it was sort of really like when Maya was born, when my first child was born, we just won the premiership with the Roosters and, and, and my wife was pregnant. And, you know, I played whatever role I played in that. I didn't win the premiership, but I was, you know, the team hadn't made the finals the year before and wasn't expected to make the finals that year. And and then we, you know, we won the minor premiership, the premiership, the world club challenge, um, the, the club championship. You know, we, we won everything that could be won that year with a team that wasn't expected to, to make the finals. Um, so at that point, I was like, well, where am I going to go with this? Like, to me, the goal wasn't to keep doing that over and over because I kind of knew from my time, like I, we haven't spoken about this, but I traveled for most of my 20s. Like I lived in Latin America for three years. Um, Guatemala, and I just, I I, yeah, yeah. I explored the world, um, and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I know I didn't want to be average. I didn't know, I didn't want to sit in the crowd and just be quiet. So, um, those two things kind of came together. Like I loved sport, and I loved, you know, I loved that role working Catalan Dragons in France, and then the Roosters. Um, but after three years, I was like, yeah, I think I'm pretty much done with this. Like, what's next? And um, as much as I loved it, like I sort of knew I needed to find a new tribe, like that quote, like we evolve, evolve at the rate of uh, the tribe we're plugged into. I knew that that tribe was only going to, like it was a great tribe, but it was, wasn't going to evolve me further because I'd kind of done that thing. Like, and I'd been around that culture for a lot of my life. So I wanted to find a new culture. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to go create it. So I was listening to a lot of Bob Proctor stuff and um, his success puzzle. I got as a free download on a, a course I bought from Brennan Burchard. That was a huge investment for me. I think it was like $3,000 or something. And I got a free download of this Bob Proctor thing of um, success puzzle. And I listened to success puzzle over and over again. And it kind of 
spurring the idea of what do I really want? What would a, re- a good life really look like? Yeah. And my first child was going to be born and I, t- I didn't want to be in pro-, pro sport and be at the whim of like, if the team wins, then I get paid. If the team doesn't win, then I go and find a new job. Because mm. um, I'd seen that over and over with uh, family members. So yeah, that's I started Real Movement together with two other guys thinking like, I don't know where this is going, but I hope I can make it work. And if it doesn't, I can probably get a job in um, rugby league again because you know I've got a good record. I've got some connections there, so let's just let's just give this a shot. Um, so yeah, just the courage to kind of just give that next thing a shot, I think, is what has led me to this point more so than any grand plan. And now I have more vision, and now I can kind of look at things and plan a bit more for the future. But mostly it's about just taking that next step and you don't always know what comes after that next step. And often we won't take that next step because we don't know what's next after that. But um, often the next step is relatively clear. Like I, I know I need to get out of this job or I know I need to start learning about this. Um, you don't know where it's going to lead you, but you know, if you don't do it, you're probably going to feel pretty unhappy and stagnant. Yeah. You said I hope that, that was, I really appreciate you. Um, storytelling that that was really interesting to hear but i notice you said courage and what i heard and what i was thinking when you were describing your mentors is okay they all had to stand on their own two feet and they had to be courageous to talk about the things that they believed in in spite of the majority maybe challenging them or not believing in them and you exhibited that same courage that they exhibited in their own life and i just find that observation really interesting that is a good observation. I think we've pulled out a few things about these mentors of mine. Um, you know, the fact that they made a lot of money and they had alternative views, but yeah, they, yeah they, they're, they're, they're three really strong, courageous characters in, in my mind. Like they're, they're a little bit abrasive, you know, to, to some people potentially, and they have their detractors and they've, they've been subject to a lot of criticism uh, at certain times from certain people. Um, so yeah, I think, not everybody wants to deal with that, but you, you know, if you're not getting any of that, then you're probably not saying anything. But you're um, not abrasive, though. It's really interesting about you. You are very like I would describe you as centered, grounded. Like you are calm, you are rational, you're logical. Like there is no uh, real emotion, like big ups and downs with your communication. I noticed, like you seem different in that aspect. Do you see yourself that way or no? I'm just seeing, I've only 90 minutes of Keegan Smith I've got, so I don't know all the other Keegan Smiths. Yeah, I think my, I'm working towards a style of, of presentation that is a little bit less uh, aggressive and emotional. Like my, my father's a career NRL coach, and I grew up around that environment where he was kind of like feared by his players, especially in his early years. Huh. Like he would be um, extremely aggressive sometimes in the, in the change room. I don't think it's any, any secret. I think he was quite well known for that. And he got a lot of criticism in the media and such as well. So like, I, I've been around that, that sort of stuff. But, um, I think there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a challenge like to be, to have strength in your, in your opinions and your, and your words without, uh, necessarily attacking, um, the other side is, is something that I'm trying to, work on because it is it is easy to fall into like that kind of aggressive like you know we're against that and, and that's that's the situation at the moment it's like do you go out and protest or is there another way of living that you can embrace that actually potentially solves the problem without 
um, entering to conflict with something that is, is you know doesn't doesn't go in the direction that that you want to go kind of thing um so there's uh everyone's got to you know you got to find your find your own style and your own message with that but yeah that's something to reflect upon it, it seems like um but to conclude this conversation i want to backtrack one one second because you said you know you packed up your house you sold your house you decided to move to germany like what was that like, why did you decide in that moment? Like, what was it about your situation that you had to make that decision? Because I think a lot of people, they get stuck doing things, living a life they don't want to live. How did you have the courage to recognize the change? And I don't know. Like, I feel like I want to help give people the perspectives that they can do it themselves. Because so many people, they get stuck. Yeah, it's a it's a valuable, valuable question to ask and to uh, help people become unstuck is probably, uh, yeah, it's at the core of what what we're doing with Real Movement, you know, consider a different perspective. How could you do this differently, better? Yeah. Generally, because I've been working with so many coaches for so long, generally I have some ideas that of how people could come unstuck and where things could go. And that, that's, that's the fun of it. Applying it to myself, uh, we, we bought a house and we renovated that house. And I mean, we didn't actually buy the house. If you, my mentor has corrected me on this language a number of times, like because there's a mortgage, we bought a mortgage. Yeah. Um, the, the bank held the title to the property. So therefore the yeah. bank is the owner of the property. Um, and you know, so a lot of my efforts since 2017 had been going towards the bank and then we renovated the house. So they were going towards the builder and we weren't progressing um and that living environment that we had of a renovated house a new baby um some you know some bad decisions that i made with business direction and you know the place that i got to mentally it wasn't working you know i, I was i wasn't getting the results that i wanted to get and i didn't know how to um you know i knew something had to change so basically um, yeah the decision was to to make a change and and part of that decision was yeah like let's let's get back onto positive you know into positive uh, economic position um let's, you know let's remove ourselves from debt and let's look at some things that might be good investments my prediction last year was that we we're coming towards a, an economic um crash correction like the biggest one of yeah. our lifetime Same. Um, long before you know the current situation yeah because you notice it's 2008 is the last time we saw the market take a huge dip and i'm no finance economy expert by any stretch but you you know you can if you look at it you can see like hold on look at the patterns if you've seen those graphs of like a hundred years of like uh bear and bull markets oh is no one seeing this is anyone is anyone putting their eggs away so they can save them for that rainy day coming yeah have you watched the ray dalio 30 minutes uh ray, no. ray dalio's 30 minute explanation of the economy is a good one no so, i'm familiar with him but i haven't seen is that on youtube yeah yeah, yeah, yeah on youtube he does a he does a good um, graphical representation of it and just says yeah like this is and it's like pretty matter of fact but what actually happens during that time is like a lot of stuff gets washed away you know um and 
yeah, it's that mind flex, the ability to consider. Some people can see it, but they can't act. They're paralyzed, you know, and then other people can't even, can't even see it. You know, it's inattentional blindness. Have you seen those studies about the the gorilla yeah. in front of the camera? And, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you can't see. You can't see something like the, if you haven't looked at inattentional blindness, like look. But if you if you haven't been exposed to any of the concepts, and you won't see what's coming, kind of thing. So, right. Great point. Well, I was looking at that and saying, look, I think that this is, this makes a lot of sense that, and, and in fact, 2008 was nothing like what it could have, should have, would have been, um, had there not been like massive quantitative easing and bailouts and, and those sorts of things. Like the reason the, the economy rebounded so quickly in my understanding from, you know, the last 18 months of research is that, um, it was kind of artificially put back on its feet and, mm. uh, the bubble was reinflated and, but isn't that what's so, happening yeah. now? in a lot of ways yeah there's there's some crazy stuff going on right now so um what's going to happen next my prediction like no one knows but you you should make a prediction and and it it saddens me when i ask them what's going to happen next and they have no idea or sometimes they have the, the the answer and they don't do anything you know they're not prepared for it at all um financially even though they know what's coming you know and that's you know that's that's often as well you know people know like oh yeah i feel like that about the education system and i feel like that about the economic system then how are you positioning yourself yeah do something how's your business where are your investments Mm -hmm. you know what's what's your what's your what's your stance where are you placed and it's not easy to to work it all out like that's you know trying to piece it together like I, I wanted someone i could bounce like hey all this research it's led me to this conclusion like is this valid and I've, I've bounced that opinion off a bunch of investors and other people consults to say like is this a smart position and this person would be like well, yeah that looks like a smart position to me or maybe but have you thought about this like this is something you could add to that or um so yeah it's um we, which i don't know like i'm i'd already moved a number of times we moved around a lot as as children like my, my father was a rugby coach and he moved to different teams moved to england twice and you know we moved around and i didn't think i would actually travel in my 20s when everyone was talking about going off and traveling after school or after uni i was like yeah that's not for me but then uh, i quit uni just uh, after uh, four years three and a half years whatever it was i didn't finish my last year of the degree so i graduated from the three-year degree um yeah, three and a half years, and then I, I moved to England, and then uh, I've, then I got a taste for tra- traveling, and I realized how ignorant I was to not know another language after so many years of education. Mm. So I started to learn Spanish, and I started to study Latin American history, and then you know that all led down a rabbit hole. So, I, and then I just moved and moved and moved, and every time life wasn't that good, I moved. <laughs> so I, I got that habit in my twenties, like backpacking. I was like, I'd lived somewhere for a while, and then it's like, yeah, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like maybe I'll go do this. So I, I guess I built that habit and my dad had kind of lived that way. So it's probably programmed into me from a young age, like, well, this opportunity's finished, the opportunity's there, so let's go. So maybe it was more natural to me to be like, well, this isn't working out, let's go. Um, Interesting. And to some extent you want to stay in fight and there's a time to stay in fight, but then there's also a time of like, okay, let's move on. And as soon as it was done, you know, I sold the house myself. So that's the biggest sale I've ever made. I've done a lot of sales calls and things like that over the years with having my own business. I sold an $875,000, uh, that's the, that's my biggest sale so far. So if you're ever on a sales call with me, it's unlikely that I'm going to be asking you for $875,000. Um, so that's, you know, some, that's some Tony Robbins mentorship money right there. <laughs> exactly. And and Paul was actually mentored by Tony Robbins in like 2002. He's a fascinating guy and super fascinating. And just 
when you find those kind of people that have in your life, it's it's um, hugely enriching. You know, I invested you- invested like three hundred and fifty pounds to have half an hour with Charles Poliquin uh, when I had no money in uh, 2011, 12. You know, so it's it's. I guess I've always kind of had that courage to an extent. And my money programming was probably like that. I unload my money at, at any opportunity, uh, which is how most of us are programmed, which is why most people will spend 120% of what they earn in their lifetime um, or somewhere around that. But um, yeah, having the opportunity to have that time with, with Charles. And then, you know, I had that week with Ido uh, in Thailand and that, you know, that was valuable as well. And I you know, had another few events and things with, with Ido and, um, but finding a like finding a mentor like Paul is actually really really giving him his time. We have like we had a three hour conversation again the other day, and I've never had a mentor that is so accessible. Um, you know, like I was like, going to ask, he, you're still in contact with him? With Paul? Yeah, yeah. Like we we I've invested in a twelve month uh, education with him. Oh, two okay. months, two months into that so nice. far. Um, but yeah, fortunately, like he's made himself available to all the real movement community as part of my investment, um, you know, so that's kind of given a lot of our members a new perspective on a lot of different topics. He's just wise, man. He's been going hard. Um, he was already, he's a PhD. When he was 40, he, has a, he had a PhD uh, in pottery, but he was making no money and he decided at, at, that, at 40, like, I'm sick of being poor. Um, I'm going to go do something else. And he didn't come from a family of wealth. He grew up super like working class blue collar and he decided I'm going to become wealthy. And his friends laughed at him and mocked him and whatnot. Four years later, he was a millionaire three years, nine months. And, um, you know, he's been instructing people about wealth ever since. Um, and his motto is like, come out to play. So it's, it's like, he's coming at it from a completely different place. He's not materialistic. He's not, you know, he's not this Lamborghini guy. It's, uh, yeah, it's really quite a, a phenomenal story. I just feel really, you know, blessed and fortunate to to uh, be able to interact with him on a regular basis. And he's not teaching me about performance, but he's teaching me a lot about uh, life and how the world works and uh, things I've been looking for for a long time. Keegan, I know we could keep digging through all these rabbit holes for much more time to come. And I imagine we will in the near future. I hope we do. Um just want to say thank you. I'm very grateful. I did not expect you to be so gracious with your, ch- with your time and um, go through all these. As you can see, like half the questions that I think about and ponder didn't get really asked because we chase other rabbits. So thank you, Keegan. Do you, and do you have any last thoughts, comments, asks of, our, of the people listening or just where people, where you want to point people? Yeah, if, uh, real movement is spelled R-E-A-L-M-V-M-T. So it's... Um we used to have real movement project and I got sick of typing that. So yeah. we became an eight letter brand instead of uh, however many other thing is. So yeah, if you, if you look up real movement, um, you'll probably uh, eventually get to some of our stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing is just keep searching. And if you're not getting what you want from the education that you're receiving, then keep looking, you know, I think, um, yeah, it's, I'm glad that you guys are bringing a, fresh approach to uh cert three and four and i hope that you'll continue you know you you might be inspired to look at a few different things or have a little bit more courage towards what you truly believe in um on the back of conversation today if 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 any of that happens then that's a good thing if if someone has listened all the way through to this point 
um, be cool to drop drop me a message. Um, I'm still uh, pretty uh, responsive and contactable in that way. Working on being less so, but um, yeah. it is fun to hear when someone uh, reaches out and says, you know, like I had a bit of an epiphany on that, or I'm going to take X action off off of uh, my learnings today. So, you know, from listening to us, so Absolutely. yeah, that's, that's the thing. So. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate you reaching out, and uh, yeah, it's great to meet you. And look forward to continuing the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you, Keegan. Enjoy your time in Germany, and uh, yeah, stay well, my friend. Thank you. See you, brother.